Training to carry the weight of my brain like a genius Knowing I'm so seeds, let's see who's thumb is the greenest If I said it, I mean it, I did it because I need it Eat, sleep, it, and bleed it, write it down and then read it Asphalt to the cement, your trash talk, delete it I blast off and lay them out like a Tempur-Pedic Welcome back to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour Today's podcast is a special treat This special podcast treat is brought to you by our sponsor, Yes Palettes Yes Palettes is the palette removal, waste removal, and recycling removal company that places risk mitigation, OSHA compliance, and customer-obsessed service first. They can upscale at a moment's notice and remove barriers to provide you with a safe and clean work environment. Now, I'm not going to bore you with an opening monologue because believe me when I say my guest says it all. He really says it all. Stephen Breadman Edwards is the special treat on today's podcast. Many might know him as one of the best minds and trainers in the sport of boxing, but he is so much more, and you will soon hear why he is such a special treat. More than likely, many of you listening will start following him on social media and other platforms. Hey, speaking of social media, make sure you're following the podcast on social media. You can follow the Chris Williams Podcast Hour on both IG and Twitter, at the Chris Will Pod, and on Facebook. It is simply the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. As I said before, and I will say it again, all of our podcasts are good. So enjoy the content you're familiar with and try the unknown. You will learn something from it. And more importantly, you'll get hooked. Once again, thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. This is the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. I do it. podcast hour and today we have a special treat i have a very knowledgeable and diverse guest he is considered one of the best up-and-coming trainers in boxing in 2019 he trained julian j rock williams and helped him win multiple junior middleweight world titles he has a nationally recognized boxing form called the daily bread mailbag he is an entrepreneur a successful real estate investor in Philadelphia, and he is considered by many one of the best minds in boxing. Please help me welcome to the Chris Williams Podcast Hour, the man, Stephen Breadman Edwards. Breadman, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, not a problem at all. Not a problem at all. This is, like I said, this is one of our treats. So this is a special treat for me and my listeners. Um, I'm excited to hear your stories and for my listeners to hear some of your great stories because I know you're a great storyteller. So, <laughs> Breadman, as I tell all my guests, the podcast doesn't work unless you shamelessly plug yourself 
and tell your entertaining stories. So please feel free to brag about yourself and what you've done. Well, I wouldn't call it bragging, but, you know, I mean, whatever. I'm an open book, so whatever you ask me, I'm going to tell you the truth. So, you know, okay. So All right. Truth is good. Truth is good. All right. Well, the best way to get this podcast going is for you to tell the listeners, you know, who is Stephen Breadman Edwards, and what was your life like growing up in Philadelphia? Um, I was born and raised in Philadelphia. Um, I was born in West Philly. Uh, when I was, um, I lived in West Philly so I was about seven and, um, we moved up, uptown in the Broad and Island section of Philadelphia. You know, the rest of my family was, uh, from West Philly. So I kind of like went back and forth. Uh, but I was raised on a, a block called Kamak Street in, uh, the uptown section of Philadelphia. Um, it's a great block, great kids, you know, it's probably maybe, 30 or 40 families, um, you know, on like a, a three three block, you know, the 58, 57, and 5600s. And um, there's a lot of kids all within the same, you know, uh, age group. So we played a lot of football, a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball, king ball. Um, you probably, I don't know, if you're not from Philly, you probably never heard of king ball and stuff like that. No. And, um, <laughs> what is king know, ball? It's, it's, uh, king ball is like uh, you draw chalk in the street. And you um and like and you make four squares and you and you put them inside of one big square so you like hitting the ball towards the person and and, uh, and the ball has to bounce if the ball bounces more than one time you get K then you get I then you get N then you get G if you win you know you you, you know you're the king so you like spinning the ball and you hitting it off to the side it's almost like tennis with a basketball but you don't have rackets, you got your hands. So you're hitting the ball, like you would hit the ball just slightly and it bounces, the person got to run. It's real good for your coordination. But as a kid, you don't know it's good for your coordination. You're just playing this just to win. So we did all kinds of stuff, man. You know, I had a great childhood, to be honest with you. You know, like most people, you don't know that you're poor <laughs> when, you, yeah, when you're right. a kid until you get older. You know what I mean? You know, I had, you know, I got a, had some great friends that I got to this day. And, um, you know, I grew up like any other kid, chasing girls, playing sports, doing different things. Uh, I always was a big boxing fan when I was a kid. You know, we used to go outside and fight in the street and stuff like that. And uh, But I didn't um, do it formally because I played basketball when I was younger. You know, I had a real odd growth spurt. You know, uh, baseball and football was probably like my first sports that I really loved. I was good at basketball. But then, you know, one day, I like one summer, I just shot up from like five five to like like six three, and I'm six three now. So it's like I pretty much did all my growing in one summer. So, um, oh, wow. you know, I started. Uh, you know, I got I got good at basketball, you know, and um, that's how I got the name Cornbread. That was my original nickname. Um, it was a movie out called Cornbread Earl and Me, and uh, we played, <laughs> nice. uh, I played for. So we, um, you know, I was good. You know, I had some good games. I played in the Philadelphia Public League, and um, you know, uh, and uh, you know, I started pursuing basketball more than baseball and football. And then my senior year, I got hurt. I dislocated my knee. It's kind of a bummer. You know, uh, we had uh, we we had up and down team in Washington. My first couple of years, we were good. My junior year, we was terrible. 
my senior year, we kind of revamped and we was good. We was in the middle of an undefeated season in our league. But, um, and, um, you know, and I got hurt. It kind of was a bummer, you know. And uh, and then I kind of, like, lost the love for basketball. Like, I just didn't. I was, I was the kind of kid nobody had to tell me to practice. I would get up early in the morning and go shoot jump shots and work on my crossover and things like that. But I just didn't have it anymore. Like, I kind of just, at that time, I just kind of realized that, you know, that this wasn't going to be my future, you know. And it, it, was, it was hard on me because I was, you know, young, and you, you kind of confused at that time. You don't really know what's going on. And um, that's what kind of geared me towards boxing. So I was like, you know what, man, you know, not not that I have a bum knee, but you think about your knee injury when you're making cuts and things like that. So um, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, well, boxing is not any cuts. It's, 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 you know, you don't see people in boxing have serious knee injuries. So that's when I started, you know, with boxing. I was in college at the time, but I started um, boxing, and um, I was doing well, you know. It was just recreational. You know, I was just in the gym sparring guys, Um you know, I was asking my trainer, like, give me some fights, man, give me some fights. And it was crazy because uh, uh, I fought, like, two exhibitions, and I thought they was on my record, and I didn't even know I didn't have an amateur book. I was just young and ignorant. <laughs> I didn't know no better. You know what I mean? But I had an advantage because I was, like, 6'3", and I was only, like, 155, 160 pounds. And I was still athletic. I still worked out all the time. So, you know, I had an advantage. I would probably get the better of most of the guys I spar, you know, and, um, you know, and, but I didn't take boxing as serious as I should have. I was just kind of doing it because it was like, um, you know, like I didn't feel like my athletic career was over and I had like a lot of competitive injury, uh, energy about myself. So I just did it. Like I would get out of school, you know, leave temple catch the bus, just go to the gym and just work out and spar. Like, it was more like fun to me, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but I always knew a lot about boxing. I always, you know, I didn't, uh, I always valued the sport. You know, I know you can't play boxing. So, you know, I was kind of one foot in, one foot out, working, going to school, messing around with girls, doing stuff out that wouldn't be conducive to being a fighter. So eventually – you know, after a few years, I kind of, like, left it alone. But I'm like, man, I want to get back into this. And, you know, um, a few years later, in my early 30s, you know, that's when I met um, Julian Williams, and he asked me to come on to the team. And then, you know, it kind of took a life of itself. But, you know, basketball okay. was something that I, uh, you know, originally, um, you know, that was my original thing. It's funny because, uh, you know, the guy who got me to come on the show, Chip, he heard me say that I could play mm-hmm. basketball, and he went and, like, looked up some of my old stats, thought I was lying. You know, Philadelphia <laughs> Public League is a hard is a hard lead. So he, like, looked up my stats and was like, damn, you know. So I had, you know, some 20 and 30-point games and things like that. And he's like, you know, I'm like, man, I don't got to lie, you know. I would, that's something <laughs> that you could verify, you know. So, you know, I had a nice basketball game. I ain't going to say, you know, NBA or nothing like that, but I was tough. I could play, play both guard positions, and, you know, and that was that, you know. So um, later on in life, I uh, got into some gambling, you know. Um, you know, I had a good friend of mine who's a bookie, and, you know, um, I was real good at picking games and, you know, hitting parlays and four-teamers, things like that. And, um, you know, and I, I started making a lot of money, and, uh 
instead of calling me cornbread, people start calling me bread man. And that just kind of, like, stuck through my adult life. Like, you know, people call me bread or bread man because I was kind of, I'm not going to say it's luck. It wasn't luck, but, you know, I was, like, real fortunate. With, um, I hit some big bets, you know, and, uh, you know, their name just kind of stuck. And then it just carried over to boxing. Oh, wow. What's the biggest bet that you uh, hit on? Oh, man. I mean, I don't know if I could talk about this publicly, but <laughs> I probably I had well, some like we probably I had some weekends like uh, <laughs> I mean I had some crazy weekends, man. Like some you know some twenty five thirty thousand dollar weekends, you know. Um, so you know I had some nice weekends, and you know what though, one thing about you know gambling or anything that you're doing like, you know, novelty type of things, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. You know, I didn't have some weekends where I lost that much, you know, so it goes back and forth, you know. But uh, one thing about me, man, I got a lot of self-control. You know, once I uh, start having kids, I kind of, like, tempered it down, you know what I mean? I'm I'm not, you know, like, I got, got like, a weird discipline. You know, uh, Julian used to have fights at the casinos, and I was like, I walk up with like two hundred dollars, and I, I wouldn't have an ATM card or nothing. And I'd be like, "This, if I lose this, I'm done." You know, <laughs> you know. I just have like, I'm just weird. I'm just real weird like that. And some sometimes I would just go off and win, you know, a couple thousand dollars. But I never, I never take big losses because in my mind, I don't never chase the bets. You know what I mean? So if I can't, if I don't win with what I put up. I don't keep re-upping and going back and borrowing money and running to the bank and running to the ATM. I don't do that, you know. So I kind of, like, scaled it down a little bit once I had kids and had other responsibilities. But, you know, and I had some big weekends, man. I had some huge weekends. All right. Now, yep. what would you attribute that, that discipline to? Um, You know what, man? I, I, I really don't even know. Like, I, I – Sometimes you know how you can be you can get things in your life and not know you're getting them. Like as a kid I wasn't allowed to sleep late. You know, like my mom would be like, Get your ass up and go up, you know, go clean sweep the steps or back in the day we used to have to we would put uh dish detergent in in the in a big bucket real hot with some bleach and we sweep the steps. So she'd be like, get your ass up and sweep the steps. Or if I'm at my grandma's house, she'd be like, go, go vacuum or, or go uh, pick up the dog poop out back. So I'd never slept late. You know what I mean? So, like, with my fighters, I tell them, like, you got to get up before it get light outside. Get up and run early in the morning. You know, and if they say, well, you know, so I say, well, I'll meet you out there. So now you can't complain because I'm going to be out there with you. You know, so I really don't. I, maybe it's my upbringing, you know. Um, my father passed away when I was little, but you know, I had a uh, I had a good stepfather, and uh, my grandfather was a big part of my life, and he didn't really take a lot of shit. So you know, like I had I had a lot, had to do a lot of things, you know. But I didn't really look at it as punishment. I just looked at it as just you know that's what I had to do. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's kind of. Okay. Like, if I, it wasn't a punishment to me. Like, my grandpa, he had a bunch of cleaning companies, so he would be like, yo, man, come with me today, and we, we would, you got to do the floors at Central City Toyota. He wouldn't even pay me half of the time, but I just did it because he told me to do it, you know? Like, it, was like, like, <laughs> right. like, it wasn't like a question of should I be doing it or shouldn't I be doing it. I just did what I was told to do, 
you know, um, and I wasn't a perfect kid. I was actually bad, you know. I did a lot. I put my mom through a lot of shit, you know, as a kid. I used to get in trouble in school and things like that. But um, I used to get my butt whipped also, you know. It didn't, it didn't go unchecked. Uh, so okay. um, I don't know, man. I just think that the, I don't know if it's a discipline or it's just a drive. Like, I just, I'm just one of the people, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. And, you know, doing things that other people aren't willing to do is always something that I, I've realized that will get me over in life. You know, it's just just the way it is. Like, I know a lot of friend, my friends who made millions of dollars, but they don't have millions of dollars because they don't have the discipline to save their money. You know, I know a lot of guys that was better than me at ball, but they didn't work as hard as me at ball. You know, and I told I told some fighters like they may be fighters more talented than you are, but if you work harder and you learn your craft in a different kind of way, you gonna you gonna be rewarded for that. You know, and you know when I came in the game, I didn't have um, like nobody rolling out the red carpet for me. I didn't have uh, like a mentor as a trainer. You know, I just had to kind of just learn everything on my own from my own knowledge and just applying it. And, you know, I was really determined to build a world champion. And as, as, as weird as this may sound, I never had a doubt that I was going to build a world champion with my first fighter. You know, and Julian Wiz was wow. the first fighter I ever trained. And I was just like, mm-hmm. I'm going to shut everybody up and I'm going to build a world champion with this fighter. You know, and... um I put a lot into it. It was just determination and discipline. You know, um, you know, it, it kind of, towards the end, it wore me out, to be honest with you. You know, I felt like I was having to do too much things, you know, to be successful, you know, and when you feel like that you, you know, it, it, it kind of wore, it, it just wore on me, you know, because with, with Julian, um, he didn't really have a big support group, like people around him, so I pretty much had to do a lot of things. And it started wearing on me towards the end. I think that was one of the reasons why I had to, like, walk away from it because it was like training wasn't burning me out, but training him was burning me out. You know, I was having to do things like, you know, going to the grocery store, you know, making food. And it just it just, it, it just kind of just wore me out at the end. You know what I mean? It was just like, man, mm-hmm. I'm, I still have to do this 10 years later. You know, we we millionaires now. You know what I mean? Well, he's a millionaire. I'm a thousandaire from boxing, you know, so we shouldn't have to do this stuff no more. You know what I'm saying? And I was still having to do it, you know, and it just it just wore, it just wore on me, you know. Um, but, you know, the discipline, man, I don't really know. I, I, I attribute it to my mom. My mom raised me, you know, my stepdad, my grandparents. But sometimes it's just within. Like, I'm just, like, my kids, like, they run track, right? And my daughter is, like, nationally ranked. You know, I don't want to brag because when you brag, you can get humble. But my daughter is really gifted. My son is, too, but he's more gifted in football and basketball. My daughter is, like, gifted in track. Really, she could she she could outrun any fighter that I ever had. She's that good. And she's wow. 10 years old. And I go to her track practices, and it's really weird. Like, she just outworks all the other kids. And she gets the most out of every practice. And it's real simple. Is she just every time my coach tells her to do something, she does it full blast. She does it. She never cheats. I always say you can't cheat the grind. The grind will find out. The grind is like an athlete's karma. 
You cannot cheat it. Anything you put in it, you're going to get out of it. And that's just how she is. So, you know, it's just inbreded. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't even mean to, like, have a play on words, but it's just inbreded. And, um, <laughs> you. you know, I just try to transfer that uh, energy to my fighters. You know, like, you know, when it's time to go, you know, we got to go. Like, it's, it's time to, you know, we got to go to them dark places, you know. And, you know, that's, um, you know, I think that's why I've been um, pretty successful as a trainer so thus far. Okay. All right. Talk about character and how important that is for you in, in choosing friends, business partners, and even fighters. It's big. It's big. Uh, one of the reasons why I agreed to this interview is because um, Chip, the guy who uh, solicits the interview for you, you know, I kind of get along with him. You know, um, character is big, man. You know, in in boxing, this is an animalistic sport, you know, and people look out for themselves. So you have to be conditioned to be betrayed. You got to be conditioned to be backstabbed. You got to be conditioned to um, be deceived. You got to be conditioned to win and lose. So, you know, you can't get too high and you can't get too low. And there's fighters that, you know, that are really talented, that have asked me to train them, or people have asked me to train them. And, Chris, I swear, I refuse because I don't like their character. I don't like the fact that they've jumped around with too many trainers. I don't like the fact that I've heard stories about them not paying their trainer. Um, I don't like the fact that certain things that I saw from them in the ring. You know, man, um, um uh, fighters can get injured. You get injured, or, you know. You get an injury in a fight. You quit. You you you, you more or less surrender. You had enough. I could I could deal with that, you know. But I don't want a fighter that every time the going gets tough, they look around and try to cleverly figure out a way to not keep fighting. You know, it's it's uh, it's a it's a fight at the end of the day, and there's certain things that your character shall allow you to push through. So um, I would rather a fighter with mediocre talent and A-plus character than a fighter with A-plus talent and mediocre character. There's some horror stories out here about fighters doing certain things to trainers. And, you know, you as a trainer, it's the most thankless job in boxing, but it's the most important. You know, uh, managers make more than trainers make, you know, but, Managers have security as far as they're, you know, legally bonded to a fighter where a trainer doesn't. You know, you could be with a trainer, um, you know, for your whole career, and, you know, you and, and the fighter employs you, and you tell him something he don't want to hear or the fight don't go his way, and the next thing you know, you're not getting paid, you get fired, and you didn't invest 20, 30 years in, in, into a kid. You know, and if you don't say anything, you let the kid do what he want to do, you know what happens, uh, then everybody blames you for the kid's shortcomings. And I'm sure you've seen it, you know what I mean? So yeah. it's tough, you know. It's a thankless job, and it's really, really tough. So that's one of the reasons why I keep my stable kind of kind of um, limited, you know, because I just don't want to take anybody on. You know, I just don't okay. want to be around a certain kind of energy. Uh, I watch guys, I watch, you know, some of the things that they're willing to say to their trainers, how, they, how they're willing to talk back, and not talk back in a way like you're talking to them like they're your child, 
but talk back in a way like if you ask them to do something, if you want me to be your trainer, you need to do it. You know, I don't want to fight it. I want to question everything. So character, you know, I don't need a defiant fighter. Uh, character is the most important thing to me. And the boxing ring is a truth machine. Your character comes out in the boxing ring. You know, uh, it definitely does. So um, it's actually the most important factor to me as far as who I'll train and who I won't train. Same as business. You know, certain people you can trust, certain people you can't. You know, it's one of the reasons why I think I've been successful in boxing is because I've limited the people around me because you can't really be betrayed by people who um, aren't in your circle. And, you know, for, for a long time in boxing, I never had assistant trainers. You know, for the most part, I still don't now. Um, you know, uh, I've only really had one or two assistant trainers. Um, you know, I just limit as far as, like, management and things like that. I just do everything on my own, you know, to the best of my ability, you know, so I don't have to deal with the betrayals and things like that because it's going to come because and anything, even – insignificant people, what happens is they'll start, once once the success starts coming, what they'll start doing is making themselves more important in your success or your fighter's success. Like, I wrapped his hands one day. Oh, I gave you all a pair of gloves. You know, they'll, they'll like, start getting entitlement issues, you know. So, you know, I would rather just do things alone, man, you know, because I can't portray myself, you know. So that's how I look at it. Okay. All right. Now, now you talked about fighters facing adversity. Now, before mm-hmm. they get into the ring, what is what is what is a telltale for you that you know what? If we get into a heated situation, this guy's going to be able to handle this. What, what are some of the things that you look for? Um, poise, composure, different things in sparring. Are you willing to try things? Um, that I'm asking you to do, or do you panic? Your breathing, your social media. Social media is like a fingerprint um, of what a yeah. fighter is. You know, you watch a fighter's social media real close, it'll tell you almost anything you want to know about a fighter. Um, you know, so I watched, I watched things, you know, sometimes in the gym. Actually, it's funny. I told a young man today in the gym, I didn't know him. Um, he wasn't training with me. He was training with another trainer. And I watched him come in the gym. And, Chris, he walked in the gym and sat on the side of the ring and stared at his phone for about 10 minutes. And I said, young, young man, can I speak with you for a second? And he said, yes. I said, what's your name? I think he, I forget what name he said, to be honest. And I said, do you want to be a fighter? He said, yes. I said, man, you walked in this gym, and instead of putting your gym clothes on and warming up and wrapping your hands, you sat on the side of the ring and start staring at your phone and start playing with your phone. I said, you taking away from your gym time. you taking away from your concentration. I said, that's not a good sign of you being successful in boxing. You could have been looking at your phone on the way to the gym. You could look on your phone after the gym. But you can't even concentrate for an hour and a half to two hours on what you need to be doing right here in the gym. Your trainer is here. He's waiting for you, and you're sitting on the side of the ring staring at your phone. Mm-hmm. You know, he understood what I was saying. So it's I, I can look at a guy's social media and tell if he's going to fight. I can look at the way he responds to different things and sparring and tell if he's going to fight. 
you know, um, uh, it's, it's, it's just a certain sense. Like Karan Davis, for example, he just fought Anthony Durrell. And um, mm-hmm. a lot of people were saying he was going to get killed by Durrell. And Karan is a flamboyant kid. He's, uh, you know, he likes to party, he likes swimming, just like any other kid. But I know his character. I put him in there in sparring since he was 18 years old. Guys like Julian, Jesse Hart, Triple G, Demetrius Andre, Laura. You know, um, he's boxed some killers. And his character was never, ever, ever in question. So when people were saying Anthony Durrell was just going to walk right through him, I'm like, not this kid. His kid's not like that. You know, he don't he don't have those kind of issues. You know, so um, it's just a, it's a composure. It's an energy about certain kids that you just know that they're not going to fold under the pressure. Okay. Okay. All right. And I, and I want to go back a little bit. So you talk about injuring your knee in high school. And by the way, Chip shared those same clips of you and, and mm-hmm. has continually bragged about your high school basketball. So who were some of the guys <laughs> that, you, that you – who were some of the guys that you competed against in high school? And, and who was your biggest rival? Um, you know, that's a good question. I, I wouldn't say that I had a biggest rival. I, I would say that, like, my biggest rival would probably be, like, a na- neighborhood guys, like guys that we played pickup ball with in our neighborhood. Um, it was a couple of blocks of kids. We would get our five, and we would take day five, and we would go play. I was this guy named uh, Mike. They called him Dumars, and from around our neighborhood, I used to just cook him, man. <laughs> I would, like, kill him. But he could shoot. He would, he would hit two or three jump shots, and everybody would call him Dumars, you know. And uh, my best buddy, uh, a guy named Marcus, he was our point guard. So, you know, he would just call clear outs for me all day. Uh, as far as high school, the public league was rich full of great players, guys better than I was um, in the early 90s. Um, I played against Rasheed Wallace. I played against Jason Lawson. They made it to the NBA. Uh, Mark Mm -hmm. Jackson, um, Alvin Williams. I played against uh, one of my best friends to this day, a kid named Kevin Slaughter. He was a tremendous basketball player. Um, Jermaine Williams, a guy named Ricky Height coaches a high school basketball out in Virginia. Um, Rashid Brookenborough, Fred Warwick. Man, I could go on and on all day. I probably I played against some great players. You know, some of the best players I ever played against, they never even made it to the NBA. They had to like play overseas or, you know, after high school, they kind of just, you know, fall into the streets, you know, but I played against some tremendous players. Man, anybody you can name out of Philadelphia in the early 90s, early to mid-90s, I played against. You know, I I, okay. I mean, um, Rashid Arnold, you know, I'm probably naming guys that you probably don't know, but, like, I, I'll, I'll tell you the NBA guys. Alvin Williams made the NBA. Mark Jackson mm-hmm. made the NBA. Jason Lawson made the NBA. Rashid Wallace made the NBA. Tyrone Weeks made, I think he got a yeah. look in the NBA. You remember Tyrone I, Weeks? Yes, he most to, um, of the names that you're pulling out, I actually know. I know a lot about Rasheed Wallace, who happens to be yes. a, uh, the head coach here in North Carolina at Durham Jordan High School. Okay. 
So yeah, they they yeah, freaking so. they crushed us, man. My um my I think my sophomore year he was dunking all over, dude, like seven feet. <laughs> so they crushed us, you know. He was like a man among boys. Um, uh, Tyrone Weeks, I had twenty points against them my junior year. Uh, that he played oh, wow. for FLC. Um, so those are the pros that played around the same. And that's it's really odd, man. It's hard to get that many pros. And at the same time, you know, uh, playing for the same year. You know what I'm trying to say? Like in the same area, you know, you may get a couple of guys that go D1, but it's very rare that you get that many guys that's actually good enough to make it to the NBA. Um, you know, so I played against those guys. Alvin Williams is the one I would probably say I would, I'm pretty cool with. Um, me and him have like a, a, a couple of mutual friends. So uh, I played against him in the summer league a lot. Uh, he was really, really good. Um so yeah, I played against my share of guys that was able to make it to the NBA. Okay, okay. So great competition, and like you said, you hurt your knee. So looking back on that and knowing what you know now, if you could go back to Stephen Edwards, the high school senior, what is the one thing that you might change, or one piece of advice that you would give yourself as a high schooler? Oh man, you know what? That is. That's a great question, and I actually try to tell my son that because he plays basketball, but he doesn't practice enough. And I would tell myself, man, one thing I would tell myself is I was skinny, and I would tell myself to work out. You know, like to me working out was going out shooting jump shots and working on my handle, but actually doing a lot of strength work to get my body stronger. You know, I didn't do that um, until I got older. And the second thing I would have told myself is um, that although I'm practicing, I'm not practicing enough. You know, I would get up early in the morning, go shoot my jump shots, and then I would go home, go to sleep, and then I would wake back up, and I would go play, you know, you know, ball, and everybody would go to the courts. But I should have been practicing more. I should have been doing more. You know, um, I don't – I'm being honest. I don't know if I have NBA talent. That's a God-given talent. you got to be like a freak to make the NBA but I do think that I could have been better if I would have practiced more and just had a better perspective of where I was going, you know. Um, but I kind of did everything on my own. You know, my parents supported me, but they didn't push me. Like, if I didn't go practice, nobody said, Steve, get your ass up and go practice, you know. So, like, I, uh, I would look back on myself and say, you know, I should have practiced more. You know, I could have done more. Um and my basketball career. I'm not disappointed because, you know, at the time, you know, you know, if I knew better, I would have did better. But uh, looking back on it, you know, um, if I could mentor myself, I would have definitely practiced more, and I definitely would have worked on my strength, you know, in my leagues and different things like that to, you know, you know, keep myself from getting injured. Okay, okay. That's great advice. So any high schoolers that are listening or any athletes, they're listening. That is great advice. All right. So, like you said, you got into boxing. Um, you said you went to college. Where did you attend college? I went to Temple, Temple University. You went to Temple? Okay. Yep. Okay. Yep. We're at Temple House. All right. Love it. Love it. But you uh, you said you got into boxing, So, and you were pretty much a uh, self-learner. So what was Yeah, I mean I had I had a trainer, you know, but I you know, I, I just I just like like you know, 
Chris, like a lot of people don't know a lot about boxing. You ever like be around people, they might watch boxing, but they're more like casuals. Like I always had a high boxing acumen. Like I, I literally used to have like fight parties when I was a kid. Like all my buddies, like they liked boxing, but they liked it because of me. So I would have like fight parties and everybody would come over to my house to watch fights because of me. You know what I mean? And, um, and so I kind of like knew a lot about boxing. Like you ever see guys on the street fight? They'll be fighting southpaw, leading with their right hand, because they don't know that uh, uh, a right-handed person fights with their power hand behind them. So I like I always knew how to hold my hands, do different things. I was all, I came up in a boxing family, so um, you know I kind of you know I knew things that the average dude didn't know as far as boxing was concerned. Okay, okay, all right. So uh, along that journey. What was it like convincing fighters like Julian Williams to, you know, to buy into what you you believed and what you were going to do as a trainer? Well, I never had to convince nobody for me to train them. I never asked a, tra- uh, a fighter to this day to train them. Fighters have always asked me. Um, but, you know, obviously when you first start out, you don't have a resume. So, you know, you have to prove yourself. So, you know, I did. Like, we had success immediately, you know, like right from the back. Like, the first fight, he had uh, a, a one-punch knockout with, with a move that I had showed him. So it was like, dang, that really did work. A guy, he faked the jab. I literally remember it to this day in the locker room. I'm like, at this level, everybody goes and catches the jab too far out in front of their face. So when he goes to catch the jab, I want you to turn the hook over on his chin and knock him out. And he did it, and literally the fight was over in 24 seconds. And, um, you know, so uh, the guy named was Dean Peters. You could look at his box right and see that. We fought him in Chumash. Uh, it's a casino in California. And um, so, like, things that I would tell them, they, it would work. You know, it was real simple. It would just work. And you build confidence when you tell somebody to apply something, and it works, you know, because – you know, you can't rust on your laurels with a fighter. Things that you tell them, it, 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 need, it needs to work, even though they're the one that's executing it. It needs to work for them to believe in you. So we had so much success early, you know, um, you know, I think I built this trust. And then, you know, as anything, when other fighters see that, then they start gravitating towards you. Okay. All right. Now, were there any trainers that inspired you? that you look to and you're like, oh, I like how he teaches this, or, you know, you pulled information from others? Um, Virgil Hunter, he reached out to me about my first or second year in training. He's like, man, I heard you was a really good trainer, young guy. He probably don't really remember this, but we, like, that's one of my closest friends in boxing to this day. And, um, you know, he um, he reached out to me, and we we've been talking ever since. And, you know, we would go over things, and I would, I would like the way he threw things, and he would ask me some things, and he's really sharp. And, um, you know, I kind of – it was kind of a of – a, of, a, uh, of a the relationship with him and Andre Ward was kind of similar to the relationship with me and Julian. You know, so okay. I, um, I, um, I took to him and Nazem Richardson. Nazem, I took to him more so um, – how he talked his guys through the corner in the fight. I would listen to him in the gym. 
and he was like, you know, he would like my like Julian would probably spar his son, his son Rock, and we were like, mm-hmm. and I would hear him how he talked his guys through the sparring, and I liked that, you know, and um, it was something that I kind of like took in from him, and okay. you know, everything else, you know, pretty much I just kind of like, you know, I just did it on my own to be honest with you. You know that that, that, that I, I, w- I would consider Rojo Hunter my mentor, you know, and Nazem was like an older guy who uh, who kind of like took to me. He would call me and we would talk and things like that. And uh, so those will probably be my two biggest influences as a trainer. Okay. Nice, nice. They're two great ones, and God bless uh, brother Nassim. Yes, yeah. He rushed his soul. Yeah. Um, so eventually, you like we we talked about earlier, you, you built Julian Williams into a world champion. So mm-hmm. you know, you said that you you knew in your mind right away that he would be he would eventually be a world champ. Do you remember anything that stood out for you? And what was the ride like getting him to you know become a world champion? That's a good question. Um... I could remember first time I saw him fight was at the 2017 Golden Gloves. No, 2000, let me get it right, 2008 Golden Gloves maybe. And um, I said 17, I'm tripping. Maybe 2008 Golden Gloves, I seen him fight, and I'm like, okay, he's pretty good. He's not bad. You know, and um, he was being, um, he had an, his, his, he was with his amateur trainer at the time, and um, and then as we got closer, you know, I would ask some things like, "What's your diet like?" or "How do you run?" and things like that. And he was just, you know, he's like, you know, I take laxatives to lose weight. Do you say things like that to me when I run? I don't really know how much I run. I just run. I'm like, damn, you know, he has no structure. So I'm like, man. You built an amateur record of 77 and 10 with no structure. You know, you just kind of just doing it off a whim. I'm like, if you get some structure, you get a diet, you you you, you put a method to your madness or what you're doing, you know, you could be a world champion. He was like, you really believe that? And um, I said, yeah, I do, man, you know. And I caught the pads with him. And I know he wasn't the hardest puncher in the world, but he was sharp. And I was like, damn, man, you know, you punch correctly. There's a lot of things you do. He said, man, you know, I never really got pad work before. I was like, really? I was like, damn. You know, so we went to go run, and I was, like, beating him running. And at this time, I was, like, 33, 34. He was, like, 19 or 20. I was saying to myself, man, I shouldn't be beating you running. You know what I mean? You're in the problem of your life. And I'm like, all right, you know we're going to start stepping this thing up. You really want to turn pro, and this is what you want to do. And I would just notice that um, he was really, really dialed in at that time. I could tell him to run in the snow. He would do it. You know, like he was just dialed in, you know. I I tell him his opponent is a killer, man, because he would be training like a savage for a dude that was like (laughs) 0-5. You know, I could tell him he was was a kid. You know what I mean? I had a, a really big influence on him at that particular time. And um, uh, I just said to myself, if this kid had the structure and the support group 
that a lot of the other kids that are winning the nationals had that he could, you know, he could be somewhere. Because the thing about Julian was everybody knew he could fight, but everybody would say every time he goes to the Nationals, he loses. He only gets into the first and second round of the tournaments. You know, and I said, I said, man, you know, the reason why that is, that that's happened is because, you know, you're not doing certain things, you know, as far as your training because those guys are not more talented than you that are winning Nationals around 2008, 2009, 2010. I said, you just – you know, you're just not um, – it's just certain things that you're missing. So I, I, get, I started giving him the things that he was missing. You know, I, I started making him spend money on his food. We would get up early in the morning. We would go run. You know, we wouldn't run at a slow pace. We'd run at a faster pace to build up his endurance, build up his strength. Um, we'd be back in the gym in the afternoon. We would do it five, six days a week. And it um, it made a big difference, you know, uh, I believe that he would be a world champion before he believed he would be a world champion because I could remember him, you know, thinking about quitting boxing and going to college. And I'm like, you can't quit. Don't quit, man. You know, um, um, I said, listen, there's nothing wrong with going to college, but there's not going to be a job that you're going to get going to a community college where you can make a million dollars at night in one night. You know, and I put it in that perspective. And I said, man, 40, 50 grand a year is not a lot of money. You know, I said, trust me, you're going to be a world champion. You just got to stick this out. The promoters may not think highly of you now, but they will. The public may not think highly of you now, but they will. All the people that talk about that you can't win nationals and you never won the nationals, you're going to be able to trade that in for a world title. And I would take a world title over a freaking national tournament any day of the week. And we we and we talked about it and we talked about it and you know, money obviously was an issue and I just said, Look, man, if you, you think that um I don't believe in you, you know, I'm helping you pay your bills. You know, I'm I'm I don't have to do this. You know, I'm investing in you because I believe in you. So I, I built you know, he was a kid that didn't have a lot of confidence. He act like he did, but he really didn't have confidence in himself. He was a tough kid. And he was a he was a real fighter, but he didn't really have confidence in his ability because he came up short so many times at at, at, at on the big stage as an amateur. So I just built up his self esteem and built up his confidence, and and um, I honestly did like like I would tell promoters and matchmakers like this kid's gonna be a world champion. They're like, nah, you know, he'll be a nice little contender. I'm like, nah, I'm telling you. And around 2013, 2014, people start repeating things that I say. They start making top prospect lists, start making ESPN lists. People start saying some of the things that I was saying. And I was like, I told y'all so. He just wasn't getting, he didn't have the resources that other kids had. You know, he didn't have the money to hire a strength and conditioning coach. He didn't have a big manager behind him. You know, he was working hard for what he knew, but he didn't know better. And, you know, I just made sure that he did all of the things that I knew that he needed to do, and I just was with him every step of the way. You know, um, we spent a lot of time together, you know, especially early on because I just knew that he needed somebody standing over top of him to make sure that he did the things that he needed to do. And eventually he started believing it. And, you know, once a fighter starts believing it, then, you you know, you 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 halfway there. You know, after that point, you know, um, you just got to go out and accomplish it. But um, 
It's, it's just I, I don't put nobody's intuition and gut feelings and instincts over my own, and I just knew that he could be a world champion. It was a look. It was certain things that I saw in him, and I really knew that he had the potential if he did everything right. You know, if we put everything together, he had the potential to do it. And it took a lot of work, you know, because he was used to doing things a certain way, but he, you know, he eventually bought into it. And we had our most success when it was just me and him, when there was nobody else around. You know, we just we had our most success because there nobody could um, throw our energy off. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, this is what we're going to do. And there was no... You know, there was not a lot of uh, um, – it wasn't an adversarial relationship as far as everybody – too many chefs being in the kitchen, everybody having an opinion about what we were doing. It was just me and him. So the only opinions that mattered was me and his. And, you know, eventually, you know, we built ourselves up to the number one contender. You know, he lost to Charlo, but he became a contender. And um, we just stayed on the course. And then, you know, finally got the Jared Heard fight. Yes. So in May of 2019, almost two years to the day today, you actually it is exactly two years. Actually, it is two years. You got shocked the world. You got shocked the world. You know what's funny, man? We took that fight, man, and it's the weirdest thing in the world. Like I had to talk him into taking that fight. You know, he had. He had other people around him. He even had, like, a, another assistant trainer questioning should he go down there and take the fight, you know. And I'm like, Julian, you got to take this fight. Can't let nobody talk you out of this. you got to take this fight. You know, then I'm not going to let the judges rob you. I'm going to pick good judges. You're going to get in the best shape of your life. You're going to win this fight. You have to take this fight. Who cares if it's in his hometown? And... I'm glad he listened to me, man, because honestly, that's one of the last times he listened to me. But that fight changed his career because, you know, you go in the history books. Nobody could ever take that fight away from him, you know, and I'm just glad that he took it because, you know, it was hard getting him to take that fight. You know, it really was. He did. He thought He thought that, you know, it was a setup and different things. I'm like, no, nah, man, take this fight. This is what you want. The pressure is going to be on him in his hometown. And I just felt like stylistically that if Julian didn't run out of gas, her couldn't do nothing with him. And, you know, uh, I was right. But, you, you know, for that fight, man, you, you know, I, I'm one of them people, man, that like, like it takes a lot for me not to be an optimist. You got to like really, really, really like, 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 my, my daughter could be racing Usain Bolt, and I'd be like, well, we're going to win this race. <laughs> you know, that's just how I am. It takes a lot for me to, like, turn and be like, you know, uh, we're we not going to win this. You know, and people in our own gym was, like, saying stuff like I was selling him out. He was going to get knocked out. You know, I'm doing it for the money and there's things like that. You know, I was like, man, like, Y'all don't know. I've been rich. I don't need to do this for the money. We're going to win this fight. You know what I'm saying? So I had to, like, defend myself to people that thought I was selling the kid down the drain that I was treating like my son. You know, so, but then after the fight, of course, it was, I knew y'all was going to win. I knew y'all was going to do this. I knew y'all was going to do that. You know, you know how that go. Everybody want to be part of the holding the trophy at the end, but they don't want to go through the process. So, you know, um, 
that yeah. that was a tough fight on me. I was locked in emotionally because I knew he was going to win the fight. You know, there's a picture of us walking down the aisle. I was smiling because I knew he had a great camp, and I knew that the game plan was going to work. And I knew that her, even though he said that he respected Julian, I knew he was looking forward to the Charlo unification, and he kind of was using Julian as a warm-up fight. You know, and and I said, and I knew that he that he was too big for the week. You know, and everybody thought he was too big for Julian, but I thought he was too big for the week, meaning that, you know, you can't keep shrinking down and weight like that, and then putting that weight on and still having the energy to to to, to be able to push through in the later rounds like he did. And um, you know, that's one of the reasons why we went to his body so bad because. I just felt like a guy that gets that big, he's going to be susceptible to the body punches because he has to eat and drink to, you know, to, to rehydrate. So um, I was just really confident in that fight, you know what I mean? Even though most people thought we would lose the fight, I just had a different kind of confidence in that fight, you know, and I really didn't share it with many people because I just knew everybody had, like, a negative opinion about it, you know. And, um you know, I actually took a picture of the belt that Julian won with my finger over my mouth saying, Shh, you know, as if yeah. to tell people to shut up, you know what I mean? Because I was just getting tired of it over and over. Why y'all taking that fight? Why y'all going to his hometown? And it even had got to Julian at one time, you know. And then I told him, I said, man, I would never sell you out, my man. We're going to win this fight. Don't worry about it. Trust me. You got to trust me. We're going to win this fight, you know. Um and you know we pulled it out, man. You know, yes, and nobody did. can ever take that away from. I was able to. No, they can't. And I remember I was one of the people to get one of the first post-fight interviews with you right outside the ring as soon as you guys stepped out. And I remember oh, wow. asking okay. you a question, and you stood there. We we probably stood there for about two minutes, literally, and you didn't say anything. You were just staring at the crowd. And the only thing you said to me was. I told them. I told everybody. I told you so. I told you so. And that for me, that was. I was like, well, you know what? That's poetic right there. Because you literally had told everyone it's not going to be what you you think it is. This guy is not the yeah, beast man. that you think he is. And you and you pulled it off. So so after winning that fight, so how did life change for you? I know how it changed for J Rock, but how did it change for you? Um, you know what, man. Honestly, it didn't really change because, like, this is going. This might sound cocky, man, but I don't have low self-esteem. I always knew I was a good trainer, and I always knew he was a good fighter. So I never needed nobody to tell me that. It just gave the validation of it, you know, with that performance. It really didn't change. Honestly, I didn't buy anything spectacular or new. Honest to goodness, truth. You know, I already had a nice house. I already had a nice car. I didn't do anything. It just kind of just, you know, um, you know, you're on an emotional high. I didn't sleep for a couple of days just being an emotional high because I, you know, I'm 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 a competitive person, and you know, when you get that kind of a high, you know, you gotta like come down from it, you know. But I was fine. You know what I mean? I really was. I was like, call him like, yo, let me know when you want to get back in the gym, defend this title. Like it, it didn't really, it, 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 it changed in the, in the sense of I told you so. I told you he was the real deal. I told you we was going to pull this off. I am who I say I am. He is who I said he is. But other than that, it was, you know, it was just like, 
you know, you got to you got to keep going. You know, um, it, it's I, it's a great question that you ask, but it's like it really didn't change in that way. Like like the next thing, you know, what I did that following weekend, bro. I went to my daughter's track meet. <laughs> That's how my life is. My daughter won the CYO championships at a track meet. And, you know, that's on Instagram, you know, because that fight was May 11th, 2019, May 18th. She won, she won her uh, track meet because I, I missed the week before that because he fought, you know, so I couldn't meet, make, make her track meet on May 11th. So then following week I went to her track meet. So, you know, uh, I just kept everything in perspective and, you know, I wanted to, you know, go on a journey and, you know, you know, uh, you know, defend the title and, you know, do some more things. Obviously that didn't work out, but it didn't really change in the way that, uh, you know, people may think it did. Okay. Okay. And, and you you talked earlier about the hunger, the desire to do it all over again. So how big of a, a factor did that play in you guys trying to defend the title and not being successful? Um, I think it was a huge factor. I really honestly do. I think it was a huge factor. You know, um, we went from being by ourselves in uh, in um, Fairfax, Virginia, I think that's where the fight was, mm-hmm. yeah. to people trying to walk down with us here in Philadelphia. We went from, you know, um, we spent more money in the camp for her than we did in the camp for Rosario, and we made three times the money for Rosario than we did for her. So it didn't make any sense. You know, um, uh, people that was insignificant started wanting to have an opinion about what we would be doing. You know, um, uh, it just, the hunger changed. Didn't change for me. You know, you know what, man? I don't really want to get into that because I don't want it to seem like I'm taking a shot at Julian. No, that, that, that's so that's it just fine. it just was uh it just was different, you know. Um the the whole energy about everything was different about 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 a month before the fight I started getting like a bad feeling. He started getting he got sick. You know, he, he definitely did get sick, you know. Uh I don't know if it was a flu whatever it was, but he had got sick. But even before then, it was just like little things that wasn't the same. The weight was a little bit off. It just wasn't the same, man. And, um, you know, um, unfortunately, man, that happens sometimes, man. Success can do that. And uh, it's just that, you know, and it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, got stopped, and that's it, you know. Uh, you know, fighter gets stopped twice. You know, it's pretty. You know, it's pretty tough to come back from that. As far as being with the same trainer, because emotionally, you gotta figure out like who um, who's at fault, who did it, why did it happen, and things like that. So it's like, you know, it's hard to overcome. So, I mean, I I honestly did not think that that guy could beat Julian. That's my honest opinion. I'm not gonna say that I thought he could beat him, but I also didn't like the demeanor and the attitude of certain things that I saw, you know, compared to the herd fight, you know, like Julian was locked in for the herd fight for the herd fight. He was like, you know, when I gave him the game plan for the herd fight, 
Nobody knew we wasn't going to run from Jared Hurd. People thought we was going to try to box and steal a decision from Jared Hurd, you know, um, you know, and Julian didn't question it. He was with it. So this guy, after the fight, he questioned the game plan, like, damn, you know, why do we do it this way? And I'm like, geez, Hurd's a better fighter than this dude, you know. So, but again, you know, man, it just wasn't meant to be. You know, things happen, man. One thing that I learned that is much harder to defend the title than it is to win the title. Winning the title is like an artist's first album. You know how, like, your first album is, like, the best album if you're into hip-hop or anything because that's, like, your whole life. You put everything Mm -hmm. into that. But defending it, the money changes, everything changes, man. And it's really, really hard to tell a millionaire what to do if you don't want to do it. It is. And the trainer-fighter dynamic is extremely tough because what people don't get is that you have to tell a man what to do, but he's your employer. You're not his employer. Mm. He pays you. You don't pay him. So that dynamic is like no other sport, if you really think about it. It's like nothing else that you do. If you're a coach of a, of a basketball team, the owner pays the players and the coaches. You understand what I'm saying? You can't punish a fighter. A trainer can't punish a fighter. You have to tell a fighter what to do. He has to choose to do it or not. So the dynamic is different between a fighter and the trainer. And um, it's just it just becomes tough. It's hard to tell a millionaire what to do. You know, that's why I really respect consistency. Uh, and, and fighters, man, because it's not easy once you start making once you start making money. It's just not. It's a very very difficult thing to do. It, it just is. And um, you know, unfortunately, we wasn't able to uh, weather that storm. But you know, we had a good run, and that's just that. Okay. All right. Now you guys had a, a pretty public separation. So did you know the split was coming? And are you guys close today? Um, I knew it was coming because I, I, uh, walked away. Like, I was just like, I don't want to be bothered with this anymore, you know? So I, I made a choice to not be involved anymore. Um, so, you know, it was my choice. You know, uh, people kept asking me, asking me, asking me, and I didn't want to like do any clickbait, like, you know what I mean? Make a big announcement and everything. It ain't that deep, you know what I'm saying? It ain't like, you know, um, freaking front page news. So, but eventually I was just like, you know what? Like, I might as well just go ahead and say it. So, you know, one day I just, I was asked on the Showtime podcast and I'm just like, I'm not going to be working with him anymore. And that was just that. Um, no, we are, I, I don't, I don't, I don't talk to him. So I, I don't like, we don't have a good or bad relationship. We don't we don't have communication anymore. You know, it was just things that I saw, it was things that I that I was hearing, it was just things that I just didn't like. So I just removed myself from the situation. You know, I'm not like a kind of guy that like um I don't allow certain things in my life. You know what I mean? If I don't feel something, I'm not gonna prostitute my my morals and my livelihood for money. So I just was just like, you know what? I don't need to be bothered no more, whatever, you know? And that's just, that's how I've always been in life. So, you know, once I saw things for what they were, you know, when I and I started, like, hearing little things, 
and I just felt like a bad energy. I just like I was just like, you know what? I'm not working with him no more. That's all. It's no big deal. And that was just it. And um, I don't, you know, we don't have a relationship. He didn't gain the enemy out of me because we're not friends anymore or, you know, business partners or trainer or whatever. We just, I don't see him. He don't see me. We don't talk. And that's just that. Okay. Okay. All right. And what fighters are you training today? And do you think that you have another world champion in your stable? Sure. Sure. Um, I got a kid by the name of Romeo Cruz. I'm really high on him. He's a little older. He's about 27, fights at 122. He's a 5-0, but he's just, man, he's – I wish I had 10 kids like him, man. He's just a pleasure to train. He really is, works really hard. He's the kind of kid that makes your job easy. Um, okay. I got a kid named Zachary Ochoa. He's 21-2. and two. Mm-hmm. He's from Brooklyn. Um, he's really another good kid, really respectful. Um, hopefully, you know, we're moving him down to 135 pounds, and um, we're going to see where he's at. I think he's going to surprise some people. And I got a kid named Karan Davis. Um, Karan Davis just fought a draw with Anthony Durrell mm-hmm. on Fox um, back in February. He's a terrific fighter. Um, he's kind of a wild card. You know, he's a kid. You know, he loves to have fun. he got a flamboyant personality. But we kind of play off each other. We get, you know, we do well together. And um, that's really it right now, you know, um, um, working on um, opening up my own gym. You know, I want it to be oh, wow. a little bit different okay. than some other gyms. Um, you know, I, re- I recently purchased a building, so I want to get my own gym. I want to do it the right way. I want, you know, build me a factory of fighters, man. And you know what, man? I really like saying I told you so to people. You know, I'm a competitive person, you know, and if somebody mm-hmm. ever says something bad about me or they doubted me, that gives me a lot of motivation, you know. So I want to open up my own gym, you know, build me a couple more world champions, God willing, and that, you know, and then ride off in the sunset. And if I don't, you know, what they, you know, as the saying goes, if you shoot for the for the stars, if you miss, you could still land on the moon, you know. As long as I give them my best effort, I'll be fine, man, you know, so – I don't um I'm not a uh uh I look at my career as a trainer as a success whether I build another world champion or not you know um but I'm going to try my best to and I believe in the guys that I have and you know we'll see you know time will tell okay all right well obviously you're not a one trick pony so big time real estate guy in Philly how did you get into that and and how how do you use that to bring some of your fighters and friends, you know, out of a cycle of poverty or, you know, just get them out of a rut financially? Um, you well, honestly, Julian is the only fighter that I have that's like was interested in real estate, you know. So it was like a passion of his, and it was just kind of like I don't know, I don't believe in like luck but it was like destiny that me and him connect because that was something he was interested in that was obviously it was something that I was doing and it kind of just like I just kind of like um you know took him through the steps things that he did my wife actually was his realtor for his first property that he purchased and um okay um how I, 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 I 
I don't consider myself a big-time real estate guy. I consider myself a modest guy who, um, you know, I um, take care of my family. You know, so I, um, right now I got about six houses, six buildings, you know, and I um, rent some, I flip some, you know, I got a lot of equity in them. You know, um, I've told people how to do it. You know, Julian probably is the person who did it the most because he had the most liquid cash to do it. <laughs> You know, um, you know, but it's not for everybody. You know, everybody can't be a landlord. Everybody don't have that kind of um, relationship, you know, or, or that kind of, um, you know, uh, char- I'm not even going to say character, energy about themselves where they could just deal with tenants. You know, it's not for everybody. You know, um, mm-hmm. like I've told people how I did my real estate, you know, and people, you know, everybody has a different method to it. Um, but I believe in diversifying yourself. And uh, um, about 12 years ago, I just decided I didn't want to work anymore, to be honest. You know, I had a couple properties back then, and I'm just like, man, I'm not going to be working. I don't want to work. This was even before I uh, became a trainer. It's real funny. I was just like, I'm just going to do real estate. You know, I'm going to flip properties. I'm, you know, invest in this. I'm going to invest in that. You know, I had a ton of money from betting, you know, so I just stopped working. And I just, you know, um, I just started uh, just doing properties. And I, I actually have the first property that I ever purchased. It's really weird. I still got that property. To this day, I paid $57,000 for it. And right now, it's worth like two hundred and thirty grand. And um, I'm, I'm thinking about selling it, man, honestly. And it's already paid for and everything. I've had a tenant in there forever. Um, okay. And it's still in great shape. You know, um, it was fully renovated back then. It's still in great shape right now. So, you know, um, it was just something that I that I that I wanted to do. I was in my early 30s, and I just didn't want to work. You know, I just like nothing wrong with a working man, but I just said, man, you know what? You can't get rich working for nobody else. And uh, and um, I just felt like that real estate would be one of the things that would um, you know, take me to that place. Um, I, obviously I want to leave my kids a nice portfolio, but I'm diversified, man. You know, I got stuff in stocks. I got stuff in bonds. You know, I got, a, um, a, um, IRAs. I got SEPs. I got annuities. You know, I build off of my life insurance. You know, I'm, you know, I'm real cognizant about, you know, leaving my kids generational wealth and doing the right thing uh, with my money. That's it. Yep. Yep. Generational I really, wealth. I actually, um, that we don't, uh, Go ahead. Go ahead. We we don't we uh um uh, a lot of times black people, man. You know, it hurts me when I see people taking GoFundMe's or you know um, raising money for funerals and stuff like that. You know, and I, I kind of you know I don't want my kids to ever have to do that if something ever happened to me. You know, so um, you know. I don't make anybody do anything, but I tell people, you know, certain things that need to be done. You know, certain things you're supposed to leave your kids. You know, your kids shouldn't have to try to figure out a way to bury you, you know. Um, and, you know, if something happened to me, uh, the cool thing is is that my kids will be taken care of for the rest of their life. So that's important to me, you know what I'm saying, you know, because usually, you know, our people, we don't have a head start the way a lot of other cultures and races do in life. You know, we kind of got to start from the mud. So, you know, I wanted to make sure that my kids didn't have to do that. Excellent. That is 
Excellent. It is refreshing to hear you talk about generational wealth because, like, like you said, a lot of our people just ignore it. It's, it's what, what can I do today? No plan for tomorrow. Yep. You know, the kids will figure it out like I did. And it, it's we, not we have instant, I call it instant gratification, uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's, what a lot, that's what we want. We want instant gratification. You know, and all the money that you spend on different things, and you, you, you say to yourself, man, you know, you got a Rolex, but you don't have life insurance. You know, and you just, it's just certain things are just ignorant to me. But, you know, um, people are what they are. People are going to do what they're going to do. You know, me personally, you know, it's just uh, I don't want my kids to have to go through certain things. You know, and they don't know it. My kids are only 8 and 10. They don't know, you know, what what I have and what I don't have. But I'll tell you what, they will when they get older. You know, so it's important to me. And I see a lot of fighters, man, that are broke. You know, one of the yeah. coolest things I've done in my career, you ask me what the thing I'm most proud of, thing I'm most proud of is that Julian Williams didn't make the most money out of fighters. But you know what he did? He took home the most money. Chris, mm. after he got paid, he was taking home 75 to 80% of his money after everybody was paid. There's not a lot of fighters wow. that can say that. No. You know, most guys are coming <laughs> home with 50 cents on a dollar. You know, and that's something that nobody could take away from me. He came home with 80% of his money his whole career. That's a hell of a You know what I mean? So, so yeah. his, his, his net was way higher than most guys. Now, his gross might not have been higher than most guys, but his net was way higher than most guys. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> so that's probably the thing that I'm most proud cash. of in my career. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. And if you and if you ever hear a story about us, you'll never hear no bad stories about 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 no money being missing. Not on my part anyway. You'll never hear that. Right. You know, so that's right. the thing that I'm most proud of because I see these guys, man, they'll be they'll be bragging, they made three million dollars, but they'll come home with one point five. You know what I'm saying? You know, Julian make a million dollars and come home with seven eighty, eight hundred. You know what I mean? It's different, different ball game. You know what I'm saying? So that is, I'm, I'm proud of that. You know, I, I never stole. I wasn't no thief, and I make sure to this day, like people tell me that I take home too light of a percentage for what I do for these fighters. But you know, I just feel like man, karma and the energy you put out, you get back. And, you know, I, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking too much money from a guy. Even though even though I could I could I could take I could justify taking twenty five, thirty, thirty three percent for the shit that I do, but I, I never I never ever did that. Ever. And eleven years as training, advising, whatever you want to call it, I've never done that. I've never asked for more than ten or fifteen percent and I've put out hundreds of thousands of dollars for fighters, literally, not figuratively. Wow. Wow. Well, kudos to you because I know too many <laughs> that go the other way and they're still trying to bleed somebody for more money. So, Oh, man. 
this I'm telling you, brother, this is a animalistic sport. When I say animalistic from every side, from every side that you could think of, it's animalistic, man. You ever see me in the gym? You ever see me walking down an aisle with a fighter? Most times you're going to see me just me in the cup, man. Animalistic. Everybody thinks you owe them something. And what they'll try to do is maximize their value and minimize yours. <laughs> I'm telling you, animalistic. <laughs> and everybody got entitlement issues. Oh, are you supposed to do that? Well, you made this. Well, you made it's, it's It's unbelievable, man. It really is. It's unbelievable. Some of the things that you'll hear or 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 or, or see, or it's just it's, it's just it's unreal. I had a kid tell me, "You made all the money back that you invested in me." I said, "Well, what if I didn't? Call an investment. What if you got knocked out early in your career? <laughs> what if I didn't? <laughs> Are you crazy? I'm supposed to make it back. It's a good investment. That means you you turned out pretty decent, right?" Unbelievable. Some of the some of the mindset that people have, but that's what you're dealing with in this sport. But it's what I signed up for, so I, I understand it. I just compartmentalize the the like the um the bizarre types of personalities and you know the immoral things that you got to go through. I just compartmentalize it and kind of like expect it. Gotcha, gotcha. So you talk about animalistic. So how would you describe the current state of boxing? Um, Just with the... I think that if you watch boxing in the 80s and 90s, that was this is not the game that we came up on, but you have to be able to, you know, respect the fact that this is just a different game. You got to respect it. You can't like, like, like hold these guys to the same standard that you hold other um, errors to. You know, um, I think that there are some killers out there, but for the most part, you know, it's a whole, whole era of fighters that you know are waiting for um, big paydays. They want to minimize the risk to you know, maximize their um, their paychecks, and that's just the way it is. And we got to live with that. We can't, we can't like, uh, we can't, we can't, we can't expect guys to be like Oscar De La Hoya and Ray Leonard. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying? We can't expect that right. in this era. We got to live with this era. We got to understand that that's how they are in this era. There's no, there's not going to be no guys like Oscar that's taking them kind of fights. There's not going to be guys like Ray Leonard. You're not going to have a guy like Hagler that took, that takes certain kinds of fights um, as a, um, as a contender coming up. You're just not going to have it. So you got to be able to compartmentalize that, and you got to just understand that this is not the era for that. It's just, it's just the way it is. Um, I think, I don't think boxing's in a bad spot. I just think that we just need a couple more superstars like Canelo to fight three, four times a year and start lining people up and taking big fights, and I think boxing will be just fine. Okay. Okay. All right. 
So enough of the waiting around for uh, Spence. Yeah, yeah. If you and keep if you keep waiting around like that, you're gonna get old. You're gonna lose the nutrition. You're gonna lose to attrition. The guys behind you are gonna start catching up with you, which is what you don't want. Okay. You know, you don't want the guys behind you to catch up with you. You already got to face the guys in front of you. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? So, like, yeah. for example, you know, Spence and Crawford haven't fought yet, right? Well, mm-hmm. guess what the problem is with that? <laughs> now Jerry Ennis is coming. That's what the problem <laughs> is with that. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? He's coming now. Yes. And that kid ain't nothing to play with. No. You know, so now uh, you got to deal with him. Yeah, he's exceptional. And you got, he's exceptional. exceptional. So you want to deal with that kid too? Okay, fine. Deal with him now. That's what the problem is. You know, you know, and he's way, way younger than they are. That's what happens when you keep waiting like that. Now you're dealing with Virgil Ortiz. You're dealing with the kid that's coming behind you. So, you know, and, you know, fate is, your fate going to be your fate, man. So you could, people could try to, you, you, you just got to just be careful with the way the system is now because you will start dealing with guys coming from behind you. And, and fighters won't say this out loud, but everybody would rather be 24 than, than 32, 33, 34. That if you if you go to any gym around this country and you see a 22, 23, 24-year-old kid spar, and you see a 30, 31-year-old guy spar, I don't care how good you know he's advertised to be. The reflexes, the amount of punishment they take, everything is different. The trigger time, everything is different. You know what I'm saying? Nobody wants to deal with that kid, man. And he's coming. He want to fight. <laughs> They're not going to be able to make no silent agreements with that kid. He wants to fight, and he wants to fight now. That's that hunger again. <laughs> you got it. That's that hunger. And trust me, trust this when I tell you this, man. It's different when you're dealing with a kid that has not made no money yet. It's different. I'm telling you, it's different. When when these guys get money, everything changes. Everything changes. It's hard to tell a millionaire, get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. They're not going to do it. It's very, 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 very hard. Money changes things. Gotcha. You know, so um, that kid, I, I, that kid I, is coming, man. <laughs> yes, Say he that is. Again? I, I, yes, he is. I, and I don't know about coming. He's definitely, he, he's about to kick in the door. So, and, and I'm curious to see who steps up. I'm Ain't nobody fighting him, man. <laughs> ain't nobody going to fight that boy. Oh, trust uh, me, bro. Ain't nobody fighting him, man. They ain't fighting that kid, man. That kid's an animal, bro. They not fighting him. Uh, he going to have to so, be somebody mandatory. And, man, it's going to be tough for him to yeah. get fights, man. Guys, start it's gonna be really, really belt. tough for that boy to get some fights, man. Yeah, you know that's just the well, nature of this, of this era. You know, nothing you could do about it. You just gotta just accept it, man. All right, I want to ask it's you two a, more it's, questions it's before we wrap this up. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. 
two more questions. So these YouTube stars and boxing, it's kind of, you know, it's, what does it do to boxing? And I know you said boxing is in a good place right now, but, like, I love, I want to see Jerron in his fight. But there's a mm-hmm. group of people that are that only care about a Jake Paul, Logan, you know, just that, that trash is what I call it. They care about that. Mm-hmm. But So what does it, in your mind, in your opinion, what does it do to boxing to have these YouTube stars fighting real fighters? I think it's a fad and it's a trend. And I think that if the top boxers do what they need to do, then these guys won't have the same platform that they have. But if we waiting for our big fights and nobody is fighting, what you do is you give those guys, real boxing fans like me or you, if we had a choice between Spence and Crawford, we always going to take Spence and Crawford than seeing a YouTuber fight. But if Spence and Crawford is not fighting and then you got a YouTuber on and you don't got nothing to watch on that, you don't have anything to watch that, that Saturday night, you may turn into it. So I think that what the top boxers have to do is they have to start fighting three times a year and they start, have, and they start having to give us the fights that we want, and that stuff will go away as a fad. I really do. I just think that we just, you know, the guys just have to make a conscientious effort to be fighters. Right now what we have is a lot of businessmen who can fight. We don't have a lot of guys who are fighters. We got fighters and they're getting the ring. They make silent agreements to not go for certain things. I'm not saying that the fights are fixed, but they, they make silent agreements to not over push and not do certain things in their fights. And it's obvious. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not calling anybody out, but you see their fights. Guys won't take chances. They're making millions of dollars, and they're like, man, I'm not going to get hurt. If you don't try to push too hard, then I'm not going to try to push too hard. Now, you know who don't do that? Sean Porter. He's made some money, but Sean Porter fights. Every time, he gives you an honest, hard effort. Every single time he's out there. Sean Porter fights. He, 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 he brings it, you know? Yes, he does. He's from Cleveland. That's why. I'm from Cleveland. He's from Cleveland. Clevelanders, man. That's all they know is one gear. Go hard. Give it all you got. So, mm-hmm. yes. Sean Porter is that guy. And honestly, I would love to see him and Ennis. That's a fight that I would like to see. Like the, the correlation really? of Ennis would be the Porter fight for me. For me. That would be a good fight. That would be a good fight. Ennis, Porter's style uh, with Gary Russell, one of the Gary Russell's brothers, actually, um, actually uh, is he beat Ennis as an amateur, like with that rough style getting up under him and things like that. It would be interesting to see if he can handle that as a pro. Oh, wow. Wow. That is yeah. interesting. That is interesting. All right. Before I let you go, I have to ask you one more thing. So Canelo, hottest fighter out right now. So can mm-hmm. he be beat again? And, and I know any fighter can can be beat, but at 168, who can beat him? Um, uh, I think he can be beat. I think he's a great fighter. He's a tremendous fighter, but he could be beat. You know, um, Canelo is one of those guys, he's gotten better, but I think Canelo fights bigger guys better than he fights smaller, quicker guys. I honestly believe that. Some fighters are just like that. James Tony was like that. 
um, there are other guys who are just like that, where it doesn't matter how much they move up in weight because they got a certain skill set that offsets the size. They have more trouble with guys that are quicker than them and that can get the different points that they can't get to. You know, so um, I think Canelo and his trainers, they know that. So you'll see Canelo have a tougher time with Austin Trout or Irislandy Lara or Floyd Mayweather. Then he'll be the 68-pounder. Everybody go, ooh, wow. Well, his skill set dictates that. I'm not undermining it because he is, or being dismissive, he's, he's a phenomenal fighter. He really is. But I really think he handles big, strong guys better than he does smaller, quicker guys. He got a great chin. Okay. He's physically strong, and he throws those flashy punches that the big guys can't react to or get out of the way of. You know, but um, he can be beat. He can be, you know, you can he can outbox. He can be outboxes things that people could do to him. You know, there's just the guys that he's fighting can't do to him. Can't do it. Um, I think that David Benavidez could be competitive with them. I'm not picking anybody to beat them right now. I'll have to see how the fights, you know, play out um, and how training camps and things like that. But I think Caleb Plant could be competitive with them. Jamal Charlo could be competitive with them. I think Bivol would give him hell. And I think Bidabev can match him as far as physical strength and as far as, you know, meanness and toughness. Um, Any fighter can be beat. Don't get it twisted. Any fighter can be beat. You know, Canelo just recently went on this run, you know, uh, after he moved up to 68. Um, And it's an impressive run. But Rocky filled in. Kovalev was shot. which uh, Callum Smith is decent, and Billy Joe Sanders is a good boxer, but, you know, he quit. So, you know, I would like to see, you know, I would like to see some, you know, some American guys. I want to see, uh, I would like to see Benavidez. I would like to see Charlo. I would like to see Plant. If he runs through those three, then I would be, um, you know, that would be really impressive. I'm not saying he can't. He'd be the favorite to do it. But I want to see it. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. One more time. Shameless plug time. So brag again on yourself. <laughs> um, plug your social media and, and how fans can stay in touch with you, you know, maybe investment-wise, financially, and as well as, you know, the Daily Bread mailbag. Um, Daily Bread is on uh, Boxing Scene every Saturday morning the mailbag, and uh, I really don't talk boxing on any other social media platform except for Twitter. So on Twitter, I'm on uh, Breadman Boxing. Excellent. Okay. All right. Stephen Breadman Edwards, this has really been a special treat. We need to do it again. And maybe after or before some of the big fights, maybe after or before Ennis fight. We can we can get yep. back to you and talk boxing. So yep. I thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast and wish you well. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Okay. Thank you once again for coming on the Chris Williams Podcast Hour. <laughs>